This past Friday, I had the pleasure of sitting down with one of our favorites, Todd Harris, who I need to give credit to for being the reason, the impetus for why we gave out all of our equipment during the pandemic or as that kicked off. Uh, he's, he's the reason for that. However, that was not our reason for sitting down. Uh, the reason for us getting together was to have an open conversation about really implicit bias and, and as it relates to, towards racism. And I'll be honest, this conversation was something that I was grateful to sit down and have, and, and Todd and I have both, both spoken at length offline. And it's a, you know, it's a conversation. Growing up a, a white person, I grew up in a, a bubble in, in uh, central Wisconsin, a town of 1,000 people, and now I live in Prairie Village, which is a bubble in and of itself. And so my perspective on this is short. And Todd has grown up a black man in the United States. He's lived everywhere from Minnesota to central Florida to uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, among other places, and he can he has the one the experience growing up as a black person, but two um, you know the ability to have the, the conversation and it was very powerful sitting down with him and um, you know kind of getting a better understanding of what implicit bias is and what we can do about it we and i 'm speaking for the white community as you know someone who needs to be more educated, admittedly, uh, on the topic. So, it, honestly, it was a conversation that I was uh, nervous to have, and uh, nervous and grateful at the same time to be, to be sitting with somebody who's willing and open. And I think that was the, the biggest takeaway that I, I had from the conversation is we, and again, speaking as a white person, just need to ask the questions to get a better understanding. I think for so long we've wanted to just assume on everything everything on our end is is going well and we could just sweep this whole thought of racism under the rug as it as it doesn't exist but uh, as is evident it is still it's still in parts of our culture and and whether it's explicit or implicit it, it's still there and I think it's important for us to have this conversation so enjoy it and uh, thank you guys for for paying attention to this incredibly important Matt. Todd Harris. Yes sir. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. I'm I'll be honest here. I've done a lot of these I'm freaking nervous. Why? I'm an outsider, and I have a lot to learn here. And um, the conversation that we had the other day, and with everything that's happening in the world right now, you know, what I was saying before we got on is education, I feel like, fr from my standpoint, and I'm coming at this a little bit selfish, because I want to learn, I want to learn more coming from the background that I've had. And that is, I grew up in a town of 1,100 people, 99.999% white, and so I went from one bubble there, and we'll fast forward to now, I live in another bubble. And I think it's really important for, for I, I don't have your perspective growing up as a black man in the United States. I can say that I can be empathetic and, and try to see it through your side, but at the end of the day, it's just, that's just not possible. And what I'm kind of asking you, and you've been very forthcoming, um, and I'm grateful for it, to be open to having a conversation. And I think there's a lot of people here, and I'm speaking to our community directly, that would benefit from hearing your side of it and getting a better understanding of, uh, of what you've gone through and what we need to do to move forward. Fair, and I'm happy to share it. Thank so, you. Um, I think the first thing I would say is, is that 
black people don't expect others to own anything, right? They, they, <clears throat> the expectation of ownership is, is non-existent. It's, it's, it's more about walk alongside us. And, and the, the first thing that I've started to hear and see through the last couple weeks is the number of people who are really genuinely willing to and want to learn. And that's the first step, right? Like being open to knowing that you don't know something, but also not being afraid to step off the curb, right? This is scary for people that are white because it's sensitive. Correct. And people are afraid to say the wrong thing and, and do the wrong thing. In my opinion, and this is one opinion, and I think you'd probably hear you know, others come alongside this, is that the only wrong thing you can do right now is nothing. So, so now, and that's why I think this is so important is, is we've, and, and, and I'm gonna state my thought here is we've tried to say that there's no problem for right. a long time. Racism is gone, you mm -hmm. know, everybody's got equal rights. We're, you know, we've, we've all moved on from this, but you know, our conversation the other day is it wasn't that long ago. Right. I mean, this is a generation ago where we had segregated bathrooms. Right. So, you know, theoretically our, our parents, right. You know, they, growing up in elementary school, if they grew up in the South, they had, you know, a white bathroom and a black bathroom. Yeah. And that's, that's not that long ago. So I, and a drinking fountain and a door and hours in which they could visit a place and their own dry cleaners and their own grocery stores. And yeah. So, it, so in as much as yeah, you, I don't, yeah, you can't sweep it under the, can't sweep it under the rug. So ha having this conversation, um, it, okay, it starts with conversation. Where does it go from there? Well, I think before it starts with conversation externally, it starts internally. It starts at home. Um, tolerance and tolerance and or racism are both a taught or learned behavior. So, you know, start at home with your kids and, and your family. And there are so many books and so many resources that are so accessible in today's, you know, technologically advanced world that click of a button and you have access to information that frankly many, many people didn't want you to have access to because they didn't want you to know that this type of thing existed. And so I would say educate yourself. You know, my wife and I were having a conversation in the car today and it was, you know, came from a call she had earlier today and it simply said that in a day, time is the only resource that you can't get back. Where are you spending your time right now? Are you spending your time scrolling Instagram, looking at the greatest new sneaker that's getting ready to drop? Are you looking at your vacation home or are you finding resources to better educate yourself, your friends, your family, right? So it starts at home and it starts with self. And I mean, that would be where I would say start first. Then where do you go is conversations like this one. You know, it's, it's uncomfortable for black people. Well, I should say, it's uncomfortable for you as a white person to ask. Imagine how uncomfortable it is for a black person to have to live in this world every day. Right. So I, I'm sitting here and I am uncomfortable. Yeah. And I willingly, openly admit that. Right. To me, that is a strong sign that I need to be sitting here right now talking to you. Right. Any time where I feel uncomfortable, that, that is a, I'm, I'm close to where I, where I should be. Yeah. And, and that's good, right? Uncomfortable is good. In, in fitness, you know this the change happens when you're, you're, you're least comfortable. Like when it's the worst in a workout, it's the same thing in, in life, right? Um, so I would say be comfortable getting uncomfortable. Um, there's a lot of people that are, you know, there's a lot of black people right now 
that are taking the stance of, oh, don't, don't come ask me, go do the research yourself. And I'm not that person because I think right now is my time, our time to extend the olive branch and say, if you're willing to listen and you're willing to hear and really get into the pain and the hurt with us, we should grab your hand and bring you along. No. And so I'm open, like anyone, anywhere who calls me, texts me, emails me like, hey, I don't even know where to start. That's a start. Okay. And that, that's what I want to get into. And, and you know, you, I, I've heard of white privilege and, you know, you, you can, you know, there's, there's research out there that says it's true, true. and it's pretty darn objective. Um, talk to me from, from your side of it, you know, so I, I, I can be as empathetic as possible, but I haven't lived what you've lived through. Yeah. So... <laughs> Interestingly enough, within the black community, there's privilege. So I'm lighter skinned than some. So in the grand scheme of society's eyes, I'm, I have more privilege than someone who's not a mixed kid or biracial, right? I'm still viewed as black. I still have some of the, still, still the same systemic challenges that will, will, will potentially block my road. But there's even a classism within, you know, black people. Um, but... I will tell you that growing up in Minneapolis, you know, and my heart breaks for what's happening there right now because that's the city that I grew up in, that's the city I love. Um, the city itself is extremely diverse and it's, it's extremely welcoming of people. Um, huge Somalian population, huge Laotian population, um, you know, large Mexican contingent, like there is a lot of diversity happening in Minneapolis. Um, and for that, growing up, I never felt, well, I shouldn't say that. I felt like my friends didn't ever Did you grow care. up in a mixed community? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, so, so I, you know, my parents worked there. I grew, I was born and raised in the city, lived there for some time. Um, my parents um, worked hard, like the American dream, moved us to the suburbs, you know, so I grew up around a lot of white people too. Um, and so, so I had... Uh, you know, a mix of both. Um, so I never felt this overt pressure, but I do know of times when I was a kid where it was pretty plain as day that racism was alive and well, and this is in the, you know, early 80s. An example, I'm at Target with my mom. I had just done some chores around the house. I'd earned a couple bucks. I was maybe four or five. And I said, you know, mom, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mommy, I wanna buy this candy bar myself. Um, and we're at the checkout line and I'm clearly calling this woman, this white woman, my mom, and the woman who's checking out is a white woman says, um, is he with you? And at the time, my mom was like, yeah, he's with me. Don't you hear him calling me mom, right? But this woman discounted the, the fact that a black child was with a white woman in that store. And so, you know. Did that stick with you? You're, you're here, you're telling the story sometime later, or did that come back to you? It just, it's weird. Like when you, when you live it in the moment, and especially at that age, it doesn't necessarily register. But when you think about your whole life and all the instances where you've come into racism, you go back to that moment and you're like, yeah, that was clearly it, right? And so, so it's like, it, it's almost like um, a flashback of sorts. And it's, it, it's, tearing a band-aid off or tearing a piece of a scab off of a, a scabbed over wound, right? And so it, it all builds to opening up the flesh at some point. And so, you know, I've moved around and I've seen racism to some extent everywhere I've lived. Um, 
Interestingly enough, though, and we talked a little bit about this, depending upon where you live depends on the overtness of it and depends on the type. Like in the South, when we lived in Florida, it was pretty clear like there was racism going on. And the further north in Florida you were, the, the more hardcore it was, the more Confederate flags, the more rebel flags, um, things like that. Um, but it's interesting because I feel like the way racism is projected is to your point of, we just don't talk about it. So instead of someone not, you know, interact, people would just want to interact with you or they'll be very kind to your face and do something, you know, behind your back. And, and so I've seen more and more of that. My kids have experienced it. I, I remember Stella when she was in preschool, when we lived in Austin, a little boy, four years old, said to her, I can't be, my sister said I can't be friends with you because of the color of your skin. That crushed Stella. She still thinks about it and feels it today. And so, you know, as her father, it's like, you can't, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? A four-year-old tells a four-year-old that because of the color of her skin, they can't be friends. And I mean, it goes back to your conversation. It starts at home. Right. It starts at home. And, you know, where the young girl picked that up, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was that her parents actually spoke about it and they said that, or is something she heard somewhere else? I, I don't know. I mean, one would have to assume that a six-year-old learning that is probably learned from her parents at that point because the exposure to the outside world is just not that rich at that point. So, you know, back to your question. I've seen racism and I've heard racism my whole life. I think it actually came, you know, moreover in racial slurs. Like I've heard every racial slur coming at you yeah oh yeah throughout my life and you know it's interesting because playing football all my life and playing sports and playing college football even in your own locker room like there's you would think that it's not there but it's there because again you're taking people that come from northern florida and georgia and all these places that racism is a part of their fabric part of their culture and so they bring it to you. I mean, you look, you saw what happened to Drew Brees this week. I mean, not saying, I'm not calling Drew Brees a racist at all, but what I am saying is like, I mean, there was a level of tone deafness in his comments, given all that's going on in, in the, the profession that he plays, right? Right. So. Now, so, so taking a step back, you've, you've heard it, you've dealt with it. Talk about the, so, so that's overt racism. Right where somebody aggressively comes at you due to the color of your skin. What I want to dig into now is the implicit, the, the built, which I think is even overt, is, is, is for a guy that's as strong as you, I mean, that, that, I can't imagine that feeling good. Mm -mm. Somebody hating you because of right. the color of your skin. That, so putting that aside, what about the, the, just the implicit bias that's, that's built in where it's, it's not overt racism, but it's... It, is, is it wrong to say it's just kind of the way it is? Yeah, so implicit bias is everywhere, all day long, every day. Um, I mean, I could tell you stories about how it's impacted me specifically um, in my professional career. So, you know, I, I, I clearly, you know, speak properly. I, you know, I have command of the English language, and that's, you know, 
because I studied in school and my parents made a point to, you know, to, to learn and education was important, but I'll get on conference calls and I'll talk to somebody or I'll lead a conference call and then I'll meet the person and you can see sh the assumption is that I was white. And I mean, I've even had people say, I thought you were white. I was like, well, I'm not. And congratulations, that was your implicit bias, assuming something simply because your assumption in your head is that people that are black or people of color speak a certain way that's different than yours. And now in some instances they do, but, but that's a dangerous, dangerous game to play. Assuming someone something based on the way they speak, right? Right. Um, and then, you know, but beyond that, you know, it happens everywhere. You know, like the, the implicit biases of black men are dangerous, right? I mean, walking down a sidewalk, there's been several times that white women cross the, the sidewalk, assuming that I'm dangerous, or clutch their bag, assuming in an elevator, assuming that I'm, you know, wanting their, their purse. And I mean, there's been times, I mean, and this is not the, this is not the best way to approach it, but the frustration builds in you. I've told women out loud, I'm like, I have no interest in your handbag. The fact oh that, my God. The, the fact that you've grabbed it, I would like you to know that I'll go buy five of them today. Right, right, like, that's not the right reaction either. That's my frustration boiling over. That's also me 10 years ago saying that and more immature, but there comes a point where you're like, people, we're, we're, we're just normal human beings. We're good human beings. And would you do that if I were white? The answer is probably not. Where does that bias come from? Um, it's hard to say, right? I mean, I, again, I think it starts at home. If her mom, when she was a child, got in the elevator and clutched her purse when an African-American or a black person or whomever got in there, her, she doesn't have to say anything. She sees it, right? And that, that image sticks with that girl, right? And so it all goes back to home and how, and it's not just what you say. It's your, your words are your words, but your actions are your actions. And if you say, hey, we're not racist, but every time you see a black person, you clutch your purse, you're sending the message that black person is dangerous or they could potentially harm me or something like that. And it's interesting because if anyone had implicit bias in today's climate, it should be black people against the police, right? Last week, there was an image all over the news of uh, a protest, and I believe it was Boston, but a protest, and uh, a police officer got separated from his unit and an arm, a, a group of black men locked arms around him to protect him from rioters and protesters. And in that moment, the world saw that if implicit bias should have occurred, it should have occurred the opposite direction in that right there. Right. And it's not about all police in today's world. It's about the, the bad police and that they're the tip of the iceberg of this implicit bias that lays underneath the surface of, you know, lending and predatory lending policies and education and education funding and so on and so forth. And it's like this vicious cycle. I, we, we can talk about every, uh, just about every business, every industry has some level of implicit bias baked into it. Now, talk to me about the, the Viola Davis video and, and how that, I, I, that, is that, that was, is it her video? She, I believe, um, led the production of she, it. She put it, okay. Yeah. Now, to me, that, 
I, I love the, I love it. It's one. It's simple enough. If you have if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Just just Google. go to our Instagram. Just go to our Instagram go to page our Instagram. At, at Viola Davis, and yeah. it's there. And to me, it's it's simple enough that you can you could watch it with your kids. Yeah. And um, from the standpoint of you know how things are transitioned down generation to generation, that's where it kind of you know stuck in my head that this isn't that long ago. Right. And so so maybe we're a generation removed. Um, you know, some some places in our country, it's even less than a generation. Well, I mean, this bubble we live in, Prairie Village, Perfect Village, this whole Mission Hills area, this is the definition of implicit bias and what Viola Davis was talking about in um, the systemic issues that, that plague, or the, the, the systemic nature of racism and the issues that, that fuel it. So J.C. Nichols is widely known as one of the most racist people for sure in Kansas City, I, I don't know how far his racial riptide will take us, but this entire area was redlined, meaning drawn out so that it was accessible and you know, plotted out so that white families w would live and thrive here, and black families were not to be able to buy homes. I mean, I actually was having a conversation with, with a friend yesterday the deed on the, the house that he's living in, it literally says... Explicitly. Yes. This is in the neighborhood we live in. We call this home. And a man felt it so deep in his core that black people were of inferior class that he drew up master plans to keep them out. It's why Troost exists in Kansas City. Everything east of Truce is predominantly black and predominantly black-owned. Everything west of Truce, including the Country Club Plaza and everything that, you know, the fountains and everything everyone loves about the city, was set up so that it was pristine and beautiful for white people to enjoy, but not black people. And when you think about that, that is not only mortifying, but it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And, you know, this is to no one's fault but when you look around Prairie Village, it's not the most diverse. That's an understatement. And, I, well, I know. Yeah. And n until more recently, the homes in this area were relatively affordable. In the, right? And if you look around this area, there's not affordable housing being put up. There's no apartment buildings. I mean, you can't find an apartment. There's one apartment building. You can go out to 95th. Right, 75th Street. There's a couple apartments oh, there's a couple, yeah. right on 75th between Mission and State Line. But that's it. There is no townhomes. There is no homes that are inviting black people or people that are income challenged to, to or, or, you know, or just don't have the same in income equality to be here. And, and Viola Davis's video talks about this. For every $100 of wealth a white family has, a black family has $5.04. So, I mean, you don't have to be a math major to know that you're 20 times behind. It's a shocking statistic. If you're a black family, right? That's, that's, that's a massive, massive gap. And I was talking to a friend today who, he, he's, he's brilliant. He, he said, yeah, this is, a long, this is long overdue. He's like, and I'm, this, I'm quoting him. He's like, and I'm kind of happy it's happening. It's long overdue. 
But he said the great equalizer of everything is money. And so if, if you really feel a way about this, the greatest way to help equalize us is give money and put money into the communities that need it most. You know, I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend around real estate and how that would look. And I said, well, if you want public schools in inner cities to thrive, incent people to move into the inner cities, but not gentrify them to the point where they, they become, classism exists, right? Chicago's a great example. Everything that's great in Chicago, Bucktown, Wicker Park, I mean, Bucktown was extremely drug riddled and extremely dangerous through the 90s and the 2000s, early 2000s. Now it's some of the most expensive real estate in the city. So what you don't wanna do is you don't wanna have the pendulum swing where the gentrification happens so much that you're now pushing the core, uh, the, the urban core out, right, and displacing it. It's a delicate balancing act, but you can make that happen. And then if you look at Jamal and Brian in the video, right, right Jamal and Brian live on, across the street from each other, they go to the same school in the inner city, but there's this great mix of culture and restaurants and, and mixed use where you're not pricing the small empanada shop who's been there for 25 years out because now you're going from rent from, you know, $20 a square foot to $50 a square foot or whatever the number is. So there's a lot of things that, that we as a society and people of means need to do to build the bridge backwards, right? We're all worried about running forward and building a bridge going forward. But when I say backwards, I mean backwards, the handing, you know, giving a hand to the, the, our, our, our neighbor who maybe just has less for whatever reason, right? So the, okay, so, so what, what's the next step? So you, 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 money is an equalizer. Uh, the, I mean, is it, is it, is, is it educating? Is it ed educating underprivileged? Is it ed educating the privilege that there is a problem? And I, think, I think that's, to me, that's why I wanted to come to you first, is to, to educate our, our core, right. which I would, I would uh, say is privileged. Right. You, get to, you get to pay to, you know, Work out. to train, and yeah. it's a beautiful thing. Uh, so, it's so, a bit of both, I think. So, okay. I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think it starts, the change doesn't happen. Black people aren't gonna be the, the catalyst for change here. White people are, because white people are in the positions of control and power. It just, I mean, you know, I talk about this quite a bit with my friends, is like, when you really unpack what's happening here, you're talking about, you know, 400 years of systemic oppression, right? When this country was founded by no offense to the audience, but by white men who pillaged, took land, and set up a better, better uh, opportunity for themselves, you know, that was, the, that, that was the jumping off point of where we are today, right? When this country was established, black people were three-fifths of a man. We weren't even considered a whole human being. And if you read the Cornerstone speech... I have not yet. Well, it's okay. I'm, that's for everybody. If you read the Cornerstone speech, um, Vice President Stevens says that outwardly in the Confederate South, and hence why, as you go north, racism becomes less overt. Racism still exists, it just becomes less overt. But my point in saying this is that white people are the agents of change here. Black people will make, make noise and contribute and continue to do our part because that's what we will do. But it's gonna have to start with, with you know, white people being as fed up as black people, right? And so you're starting to see some of it, and whether it's virtue signaling or not, it's too early to tell, but you know, 
Nike making massive donations. Um, the Los Angeles mayor defunded, um, you know, defunded the police some. Um, Lego yesterday decided that they were going to suspend and, and remove um, Lego toys with, with you know, police officers. And all these things cost them money because the, the, the product is in production, but they're no longer selling it. So they got to take it out. They're getting hit twice. And oh, by the way, they're coming out of a pandemic where you couldn't go to a Legoland store to save your life. So I think it starts there. But then it's also you know, educating and continuing to talk about and talk to you know, our brothers and sisters around what they can do to help themselves, right? You can't, you can't help being born black, you can't do all this, but, but there are education and things that, um, you know, things that we can do for ourselves. So I'll give you an example of something real. Like I had a conversation with a really good friend of mine who has been struggling with this. And he said, oh, I'm struggling. Like, I knew that you would have a conversation with me. He's white or black? He's white. Okay. And he, He's privileged. I mean, he's, he's a trader. He owns his own, and he's a partner in an angel investor fund. And so he's got opportunity. And I said, Dave, you know, with all of your, I shouldn't have called him out by name, but whatever. <laughs> with all your economic, you know, prowess, you study economics, number one is you can go help educate people on economics. What is, the, what is economics and, and how does it work and how does it impact? And you, know, you pull this lever and this is the result, things like that. But I said, what if you took your, as part of your investment, of your angel investments, you created a internship program. And the internship program, in order for that company to get angel investment from your fund, they had to commit to every summer, a black boy or black girl from a neighborhood got to come and intern and learn about that startup businesses. Who doesn't have a dad that knows somebody who works at your firm. Right, now all of a sudden you're putting action and it's something that you do every single day. And that kid is going to learn about that software company, that you know, e-com business, that direct-to-consumer, whatever you're investing in. And now you're, you are a catalyst for change. And frankly, you don't have to do much more than you're doing. You're just saying, hey, if you want this $100,000 check for my fund, as part of that, you're gonna to commit to an internship program and every summer you're gonna take a new intern from high school, an urban high school. Why not college? Because college kids already, they're well on their way. They made it. You're, 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 you're taking the kids who are disenfranchised and at risk still and giving them an opportunity that they for surely wouldn't have. So it's things like that we all need to think about and talk through my like brain, how my brain's going a million miles an hour right now. Well, and that's the purpose, right? And mine has been too. Like, I'll be honest, is I've struggled mightily. Like, like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going Meaning to do? Meaning you have a responsibility? Yeah. Or, okay. Oh, yeah. And I, this whole two weeks, it's been gut wrenching for me because I'm like, what are you going to do? It's great for you to educate people and post and talk about it, but what, what are you going to do? Like action, Todd, action, action, action. And so like, I'm thinking through and taking notes about things that I can create and I can do to lift up brothers and sisters because it does take a village and I'm you know, still suffering from racism, still suffering from implicit bias, but I've made it. I've got a career. I've got a home. You know, I've made it. Sure. Now, George Floyd, he thought he made it. Right? I mean, he was heavy in his community and his life was snatched from him. But doing what I can do 
to give back and build the bridge backwards. It's like, that's where I'm at right now. What's your answer? Um, I haven't. Yeah, what's, what's on your, what's so, the perspective, what's what, the spectrum, I guess? So spectrum is, is helping my friends think through things like the one, the example I just gave you to taking that on and I actually have an email drafted on my desk right now to the most senior leadership of my company asking them what are we going to do? And if that means that I have to shoulder that and lead that, you know, how can, you know, I live, I, I live work in the digital creative technology space. How are we going to open doors for really talented black boys and black girls all over the world to invite them in to learn about technology and learn about our industry and pave a way? Is it a scholarship fund? Is it, you know, a program in the grade schools? You know, I don't know yet, but I'm starting to think through this and I'm starting to put pen to paper. What is different now in the last two weeks? What is different now that, I mean, you know, Rodney King was a while ago. Yeah. Uh, police brutality has been, has, has been in, uh, an unfortunate part of society for a long time. Why now? What's, well, what's, what's going to be different now that, that it's going to stick? Is this, is this directed specifically at me or just... I, no, I don't think so. Um, I, I, people I guess are, the people answer, are exhausted. The answer I want to hear is we can make change. Like th that there is hope, that there is an opportunity here. Well, people are exhausted, right? And it's no different than if you want to sleep better, if you want to lose weight, if you want to do anything in life, like you got to start. And I think we're at a point as a society and as a culture where denial has taken us this far and it can't take us any further. And, and because of devices like cell phones and access to information and cameras, the world is being recorded sure. nonstop. It's and so things, things that were in the dark because you didn't know, now we're in the light. And what you're seeing is a reflection in the mirror in the light and it's repulsing people. And so people are tired and people want that type of change. And no one wants to be the generation that let systemic oppression press on for another hundred years, right? And my, my niece said something super poignant the other day. And it was, and she didn't say it, but she, you know, retweeted it. And it simply was, the, the kids that saw Trayvon, Mar Trayvon Martin die are now adults. Wow. 2012, so eight years ago. Now they have a say. Now they're 20, 21, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. They're, they're now voters. They are now activists. They are now frontline to the next generation. And they, they had a visceral, that had a visceral, visceral impact. Right, and now to see George Floyd in the same light, right, it's, it, it, the, the, the water's coming over the sides of the bathtub at this point, and there's no getting it back. And so you either are now forced to jump on board or show yourself as an outlier. Right. Right? And, and that's, a, I mean, I, as a white person, it's, that's an unbelievable, un unbelievably, you know, big responsibility. You're either going to, and, and I'm not saying, it should be obvious, right? It should be obvious. But to somebody somewhere in their friend list on Facebook, there's a racist lurking. And they may be afraid to turn that friend off because it might be their brother, their sister, 
their mother-in-law, their uncle, their cousin, right? You got to be, this fight is going to require you to lose friends. Right. And you got to be, you got to be willing I, to do that. How about that? It will give you the opportunity to. Yeah. Versus, versus the, um, I mean, yeah, those, those people that might be pruned, pruned away. What, what's next? It's a big question. Um, well, you're, you're hopeful, it sounds like. That, I don't that, have a choice. Okay, good. I don't have a choice. I mean, being, the first week of this thing, I cried every day. Every single day. Um, and I was exhausted. I've gone to bed exhausted every single day because I use words all day long and thought all day long. But I'm here for it. And I think this is why, me personally, this is why I'm here. So I have to stay, I, I have to be hopeful because there's not another option. You don't give up on something so big. And so for me, what's next is action. And I'm talking to Caroline, I'm talking to the girls, like what's important to you guys? Because that's where we're gonna spend our energy. That's where we're gonna spend our time, our resources to make this, to make our action a collective Harris family action. What's, what's the, what do the girls say? Um, they definitely want to be more active and feed more people. They feel like if people go hungry, you can't even begin to think about how do you get out because you don't you're, even know where you're your worried next, about your next meal. Right. So we want to do some of that. Um, we want to um, continue to think through access to things. How can we unlock doors? Access to, to relationships, access to, to people. Yeah, so, so you know, we view ourselves and, and I view myself as like, if you were asking me like, what's the strength of mine? I'm like a supreme connector of people. Like that's what I thrive on. So how do we amplify our ability to connect people and get more people talking about more things that can result in more action? Okay, so, so I've had my head down building this thing and I wouldn't know where to start. I would probably start with you. Right. I'd say, where do I go? What do I do? Right. And, and I... And I Imagine I'm not unique there, uh, you know, because th think of it this way. If I'm, I've got a bunch of odd jobs, not only around here, but around my house. So who am I going to go to? Well, I see a 10-year-old kid on my street, right? I'm, I'm going right. to, it's just naturally, they're, they're there, hey, quick access. What, so you talk about being a connector. How do we connect to groups that are outside of our immediate neighborhood? How do we make connections that are outside of our, you know, our sphere, current sphere of influence? Because uh, your, your, your comment about internships, I think, is probably the easiest thing for people who either are, are leadership or entrepreneurs. Like, we, we need people. And I think the more opportunity you have to broaden your perspective, the better your business is going to be. And there's, there's research that proves this. Right, right. So where, where does one start? So... I think you start at a um, macro level and then you start backing right into micro level. So, you know, follow NAACP, follow grassroots law, follow Black Lives Matter, follow, you know, any justice and equality type people you can draw from because many of them have local chapters, okay. right? So then you can go into, well, what do I do in Kansas City? I mean, it's crazy how efficient Google has become you know, African-American, black 
charity, charitable organizations, active, activist organizations in my city and resources will, will, will start to pop up. So I would say start there. Um, I would say even before, you, even before you go to action to help, read books around like, you gotta know, you gotta educate yourself of like why you are where you are versus why you're going to where you're going, right? You can't be John Rowley, you know, lived in a bubble, coming from privilege, no offense, and running into I'm the black, taken. running into, you know, the black neighborhood or the black, you know, organization without the baseline knowledge of why you have the privilege you have. So I would say start there first, right? Read a few books, you know, White Fragility, um, The New Jim Crow, there's a ton I'm going to get a list of you, and I'm going to put these all in the show notes. Yeah, and I, and I have a bunch of these things written down, but I would start there. But then I would start to follow some of these other organizations we talked about, and then it's simply don't over-engineer it. Find something that's passionate to you and go for it. If it's fitness, if it's wellness, if it's food deserts, start there, right? Like, I mean, Viola Davis's video speaks to how food deserts occur, Right. Tax dollars leave, people leave the neighborhood, the neighborhood grocery store leaves because it shuts down because there's not enough there to support it, and now all of a sudden you've got a food desert. People in the inner city can't find healthy, nutritious food. So then they go and eat you know, nothing but chips and burgers and, and soda, food. and they go to the gas station. So then what do they have? They've got obesity in their neighborhood, and then they've got diabetes, and, they've got those, and they don't have access to healthcare. So this thing starts to spiral out of control. So I would say find something that's passionate to you as an individual and start to lean there. It's amazing. I mean, it's incredibly stupid simple. And I, and I think I, would, I will openly admit it's really easy to put your head down and just go to work every day. Right. You, you know, like, you, you know where I live? <laughs> I live? I live right here and I, I don't leave my bubble. And um, unfortunately, it's taken, you know, this, you know, everything that's happened over the course of the last couple of weeks for people to to lift their head up a little bit. And I, I think you, I am grateful to you for, you know, helping educate others who are admittedly clueless. Yeah, I, listen, again, I appreciate the, the compliment. I'm, you know, one of many, many, many resources and there are many, many people that are brighter, smarter, and know much more than, than I do. But I think what we have lacked, what we're lacking right now is civility. In our, in our country, and it, can, it comes and stems from a number of reasons, but, but we're lacking civility, we're lacking tolerance, and we're lack, lacking empathy. And how can I be part of the solution if I'm not willing to be empathetic to those who are reaching out because they wanna, they wanna learn, they wanna know, they wanna grow, right? Being, being my, my white brothers and sisters. And, and, Th th that goes one of two ways. You either reach out and lift them up and help them where they need it, or you shun them and you've essentially pushed them in the corner to continue to be part of the problem. And I, that, I think that's a great point. Is you, as a white person, you, you almost don't want to talk about, you don't want to have this conversation because you don't want to admit there's a problem. Right. You, you don't want to even admit that it exists, so I can see that it's much easier to go in that corner. Right, totally. Than to say, hey, Todd, tell me about your experience. Right. Because I really don't have a clue. Right. And I mean, and obviously I know we're recording something, and there's much more depth that we can get into, like where I've been and what I've done, if we wanted to do it on a personal level. But it's, 
asking the question is half the battle. Like any, any black person right now who, well, I shouldn't say, they have their own reasons. I would not subscribe to, and I would be hard pressed to find someone in my family subscribing to the, I don't want to tell you about it camp because that's so, not so productive. So it comes down to, to the, let's say, white person asking the question. Right. Hey, I, and maybe it can be like, I don't know how to approach this, but, right? You can see, I have seen that there are people who definitely want to talk to you about it, but don't know how to start the conversation. Part of getting the conversation started is simply having the look and the appearance on your face that you're open, right? And that will get the ball rolling. But the ball's in your court, white people's court, to simply start the conversation. Right. And then just listen. Right. Yeah. And, and, that, and then one of the things I did see, that, and I know we're wrapping here, but one of the things I did see that, that always be mindful of is assumptions. Assumptions mean what? You don't want to assume something when you're asking someone something, and you definitely don't want to finish their sentence, right? Like, so, hey, or have a reason or an answer for the black person you're asking the question about. Like, how did this make you feel? It made me feel so-and-so and such-and-such. And such. Yeah, because, probably because of this. Well, no, <laughs> right? No. That's, that, and that's like, I, I, that's privilege right there. Your assumption is your own privilege coming through and, that, and your privilege is not that person's reality. So you have to take that response, take that emotion that they're giving you and just sit with it and just sit with it. And what the saying is you have one mouth and two ears. Right. My wife, my wife has been extremely supportive, obviously, but she said something like yesterday was so powerful. She's like, I've been sitting with this and just sitting with it. And every time I want to speak or every time I want to post, She's like, I just sit with it a little longer. And I was like, that's deep. Because, I mean, I've had trouble sitting with it. And I've been sitting in it and sitting in it and sitting in it. And it's me. I can't imagine like her that close. And she just continues to go back and sit with it. Because she's like, it's big. This is, this is big. Well, I appreciate beyond words having this. I mean, I know we're recording this. But I'm grateful just to have this conversation one-on-one. -on -one. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've stopped sweating. I don't know if I have, but. <laughs> um, but you know, thank you for at least making this this you know this first foray into this conversation and being being open. And I think your your last point of other people want to talk about this too. You're you're not the only one, right? Who's wanting to have, have a conversation? So it's on uh, us, and I'm speaking for the white community to to ask those questions and and to to be curious. Yeah. being curious is is a part of making change. Yeah, and I appreciate you. You know jumping on this and, and wanting to bring this to light, you know, I would say simple resources at the very least, you know, follow me on Instagram because I'm posting about this stuff and I'm tagging really smart, good resources for people to follow there. That's an easy, easy, easy way for people's knowledge to accelerate because they're getting firsthand, well, they're getting secondhand from me, which is, you know, then they can go find it themselves. So, I would say that's a really easy entry point. It's low barrier and it's not that painful. And it allows people to lurk and creep and read and start to build their own knowledge base before, to, to help build the confidence to go out and have the conversation. Right. 
But I mean, at any point, anyone in this community can stop me, can say, hey, let's grab coffee. And there's been a couple of people who already said, hey, I really want to talk to you about this. Yeah. And I'm fine with that too. That's awesome. And then action. Yeah, and action. Don't, the most dangerous thing that can happen and what I'm personally worried about is virtue signaling. Hey, we, yeah, we support you. We're, we're yeah, we're behind this. I posted this. something on social media. Right, and... right. But I didn't do anything. Like, now is a time that people have to do things. And again, my, my, me, myself, I'm struggling with like, okay, it's been two weeks. You've sat with it. You've educated a lot of people. You've talked to a lot of people. What are you going to do, Todd Harris? Because if you do nothing, then you too, Todd Harris, are part of the problem. I think you're going to be a part of the solution. Uh, well, I can only hope. You've, you've got my mind spinning, and I'm seriously grateful for your time. You got it. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Guys, thank you again for listening. If you like what you're hearing and you think it'll help improve somebody else's life, please share our podcast with them. You can either listen on iTunes by finding us under 2020 Fitness, or you can go to 2020.fit and click under Community and then select Podcast if you're a non-Apple user. If you really like what you're hearing and you want more of the world to see it, you can leave us a five-star review. We'll be eternally grateful. And then, as always, you can find us on social media at 2020.fit. Have a beautiful day. Thanks again.